Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for your ability that is boundless and matchless. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that is precious that we get to gather around the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence here today as bringing revelation to our hearts and wisdom to our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you have your way. Use me as an instrument in your hands to bless your people. Lord, I know that you've drawn hearts here today, Lord God, that are in need to get their lives right with you. Lord God, given the opportunity, there are men and women here that need to either start or restart a genuine relationship with you. And given the opportunity, Lord, I know that nothing will hinder and impede them from doing so today. Also, God, I know that in this place, you have drawn people that is in search of, Lord, a faith family. And God, I know that given a chance, today they will say, this is where God has sent me. This is the family that he's united me with. And today I make a choice to make CIC my home. Father, I thank you that this is a body of believers that are victorious and that no one, no thing could ever stop us. In Jesus' name, say a mighty amen. Amen. We're getting intentional here. And every single Sunday, we're going to be saying some things to get our hearts right. Amen. So we got a faith confession. Can you pop this up on the screen? I want you to say this out loud to the top of your voice. Say this with me. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith not sight. I claim promises. I pursue passionately and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is proof in Jesus' name. Say amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I want you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. We got my clock going there, guys. Thank you very much. Genesis chapter 18. Last week, we were mining faith from a flawed family. We focused on a family in the Old Testament that had some issues, and we were looking specifically at Abram before his name was Abraham. And today I want us to reflect on Sarah. Somebody say Sarah. Sarah. From the outset, Sarah is a woman that is known to be a godly woman in the Bible. She's commended in the New Testament as a woman of faith. She is also, in uh, 1 Peter, recognized as a model for all Christian women. So, it's an incredible person that we're looking into today. However, I want us to be aware that even this saintly woman struggled. Somebody say amen. Doubt, manipulation, pain found their way into her story. And as we'll see here today, that even this woman, Sarah, She needed some grace. She needed a God in her corner that wouldn't give up when she messed up. How many of us are in need of a God like that this morning? Say amen. As you're in the book of Genesis, chapter 18, let's unpack how God persevered in this flawed family, how he persevered particularly in this flawed woman's life. If you're with me, give glory to Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 18. Find yourself to verse, chap- verse number 2. The story begins with Abraham sitting at the door of his tent. Look, this is what it says. He, that being Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked. 
And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Lord. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things as we're reading this chapter. You're going to find the word Lord written in a couple of different ways. Right here, you find Abram speaking up to these three visitors and he says, Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, Lord. And in this instance, when you see this word Lord spelt out in this way, it carries the sense of sir, master. It's a term that is used to show respect. Maybe you're in the presence of, of someone who is a little bit further along than you or has a little bit more resources than you or recognition and accolades than you. And so you show respect like you would show respect to your elders. Sir. But if you look in verse 1, verse 10, verse 13, you're going to spot that the word Lord is in all caps. Have you ever wondered about this before? Have you ever, you know, looked in your Bibles and seen in the Old Testament that you'll find both words spelt in two different ways? Every time you spot the word Lord in all caps... In the Old Testament, you have to understand that behind that word, in the original language, is the proper name for God, Yahweh. In other words, a.k.a. the great I am. The one who appeared to Moses. I am that I am, Yahweh. The great I am is behind the word, capital L-O-R-D. So, so check it out. On verse 1, we got the Lord appeared to Abraham. But then when Abraham shows up in front of these visitors, he says, Lord, he just used the term for respect, which tells us that Abram does not know who showed up on his doorstep. He is still oblivious and clueless to who is standing before him. He is just being respectful. Sir, how are you? Welcome. Come on in. Hey, could you please stay over my house? Could you come by? Oh, you've been traveling. You've been walking around. It's hot today. It's the middle of the day. I'm taking a nap, a siesta. You know, we're going we're gonna to take a break. Would you come on in, grab some water, rest, wash your feet. Let me get you some bread. So he does not know who is standing before him. We call this a theophany. In the Old Testament, when God showed up in a visible, tangible way that human beings could see and perceive, we call that a theophany. Think about the Garden of Eden. It tells us that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We know that in the New Testament, God will make himself flesh and bone in the body and person of Jesus Christ, the Son, in the Godhead. But in the Old Testament, we have theophanies, moments where God shows up visibly. And man can know, I'm in the presence of God. Abram doesn't quite know it yet, but I love this. Look what happens. Verse 6, I love it. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it, make some cakes. And then he goes and he talks to some other people. But I love the fact that he runs over to his wife first and foremost and he shouts out to her, hey, let's do something. Three visitors show up. Unexpectedly, they're before him. 
Abraham goes over to Sarah. And after he talks to his wife, immediately a household swings into action. A whole household is a flurry of activity. The restaurant is open for business. People are moving, preparing. But I imagine, though, and especially some of y'all married people, maybe you can testify here. I imagine, did Sarah give them any, you know, quizzical looks? Like, uh, were you expecting company? I was in the middle of something over here. Like, did you know they were coming? Like, the house is a mess. Like, what are you doing? Anybody, anybody would have some anxiety in that moment? Anybody? Maybe the ladies? The guys like, yeah, come on in. What's up? We're good. I wonder if she gave them a stare or the stink. I, I don't know. But what I do know is in that very moment, she gets up. She starts grabbing the flour. She starts kneading, making breads, and they go to work. Which brings me to my first thought. You got to leave margin for the unexpected because you may find God there. You got to leave some margin for the unexpected because you may find God there. God simply showed up. He didn't make an appointment. He showed up and this family responded by opening up their home. This family is in for a blessing, church. They're in for a blessing. It's easy, especially in our culture today, to shut people out when things at home aren't exactly ideal. Hello. Our instinct urges us to withdraw when things aren't ideal, don't they? Oh, what? No way. They can't come in here today. They're going to see all my flaws. Oh, no, they, they can't come to my, my house is a mess. The dog is unruly. I got no space. They'll hear us argue. Our routine is way too chaotic. There's dust on my Bible. Yikes, my Netflix recommendations. Ooh. The baby might spit up on the guests. The laundry basket, honey, is on the dining room table. It's just not the right time. When things are not ideal at home, we have a tendency to want to withdraw. But church, Abram and Sarah, they had a tent. These guys were nomads. They were wandering around. Their house probably had some dust in it. Their house was probably chaotic from the last time they moved and things are not exactly in the right place. They had a tent and they just said, you know what, I'm opening up our house because in margin, you might find God. When we open up our homes, when we open up our lives, even when things are not perfect and ideal, we might be surprised at how God moves and ministers. It tells us in Hebrews, it commends us as Christians today to endure in this and do well in this ministry called hospitality. It says this, hey, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The invitation is don't withdraw. Things are not exactly right in your home. 
They're not exactly right in your family. You know what? Just open up the doors. Create some margin and say, I know I'm not perfect because the person showing up at my house ain't perfect either. But you know what? You don't know what God may do, the blessing he may bring when that person steps into your house and they share with you a prayer, give you a prophecy. That person encourages your faith. They give you some context into their circumstance and how it doesn't compare to yours and that you've got so much more and then you leave with gratitude. I don't know what the blessing may be, but open up your life with some margin for the unexpected because God will show up quickly let's go to verse 9 they said to him where is Sarah your wife and he said she's in the tent Abraham you know gets his wife gets the the the, the stable boy to, to slaughter the the best you know meat and get everything ready there's a banquet that is offered he stands back as these three visitors eat and enjoy they rest and after the meal is done one of the visitors starts speaking where's your wife yeah, it's customary for men to engage in business and interactions and receive guests in that sense. And, 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 in the woman, and the women in the time in the ancient Near East would stay more behind the scenes. So, so there's some of that stuff going on here. But she is behind the tent. And the Lord asks, where is your wife? See, he's talking to Abram right here. But the message is for Sarah. God is speaking, but he wants to make sure that Sarah is within earshot. She better be behind that tent over there just kind of listening to what's going on. Maybe she hasn't been invited into this conversation or she feels she can't be in this conversation, but I really do hope she's listening. And look what what he says. Then the Lord, God himself, okay, capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Okay, she's past menopause. Got it. Uh, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall we have pleasure? There's two things going on there. Number one, we can't have kids, let alone we haven't gone to the bedroom together in many years. We're old. We're going to do this? Like, really? Sarah may have migrated from her home country. She may have been following her husband on this journey to this promised land. She may have even worshipped God with her husband, worshiping his God. But in this moment, her faith was lacking in this instance. Friends, it's possible to trust God for eternity, but lack trust in him here and now. Isn't that the case? We sometimes, we believe God for heaven. Yeah, one day I'm going to live in heaven and my life is going to be good. No more tears, no more crying. He's going to wipe everything away. Please, Jesus, come now. It's going to be incredible. But we doubt him for this sickness. 
We doubt him here for that work challenge or for this wayward child or for that legal matter or for this habitual sin. We trust God for eternity, but we don't trust him for the moment. And last time I checked, John 10, 10 says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That means there, then in heaven, and it means here, now on earth. The Bible also tells us that if we would have faith and believe and not doubt, we could say to this mountain, be removed and cast out into the sea, and it would be so. So we have faith for heaven and eternity, but we are lacking faith in the instant. Church, God has showed up at this woman's house, and he's like, look, You've got some faith, but your faith is lacking in this instance. Church, I invite you, let this be the last day that you rejoice over your assurance, but you fret over your afflictions. Let this be the last day you say, Lord, I thank you for heaven, but God, my my earth stinks. Let this be the last day that you buy into the lie that you cannot have your cake and eat it here as well. Because God's promised life and abundance. He's promised us blessing. And I'm not telling you that you're going to have the rich life, millionaire, multi-billionaire. That's not what I'm saying. But every single life has something that it can celebrate. When we come to know Jesus, we find that he gives our lives purpose. And we can celebrate here and now, not just one day in heaven. He forgives all my diseases. He gives me a crown of joy instead of sorrow. He crowns me with life and mercies is what the psalmist says. Lord, help us. Help us. Now quickly, look at verse 12. Let's let's just release a little bit of pressure off the the, the pressure cooker that is our estimation and reverence of Sarah. Shout out the answer with me right now. Who's laughing when God speaks? Who's laughing? Sarah, who's not laughing? Abraham. Who's laughing? Sarah, come on, real loud. Who's not laughing? Who's not laughing is Abraham. Last week, I proposed to you guys when we were covering Abraham that maybe after that whole debacle in Egypt, when he says, hey, she's not my wife, she's my sister, Pharaoh takes her into his household, and then, you know, Pharaoh intends to, to marry her and, and consummate a marriage, and Abram is like, no, don't say you're my wife, because you know what, they might kill me because you're too attractive and beautiful. After that whole debacle, you know, we talked about maybe it was the promise of what was to come that kept Sarah walking hand in hand with Abram out of Egypt into the promised land. I propose that. But maybe, just maybe, as we look right here, okay, I spoke too soon. Because maybe, if you look at this text for one second, just stop and think about this. Maybe Sarah was just being graceful towards her husband and committed to their marriage, even though her husband dropped the ball and blundered the thing. Because look, rewind back to Genesis chapter 17. Go back. I want you to see this in your Bibles. Notice how God in Genesis chapter 17 shows up to Abram, to Abraham, and he gives him the promise that Sarah will conceive a child and give birth to a son, and that son shall be the son of promise. Now watch Genesis 17, verse 17. Then who? Abraham fell on his face and laughed. What, me? 
Me, old man, 100, almost 100 years old, my wife, 90 years old, we are going to have a kid? This clown has laughed as well. Oh, the father of faith, the mighty man Abraham. Church, these are flawed people who are on a journey. Faith is progressive. Things grow. So, so stop and think about this. This man on Genesis chapter 17 has laughed. Now God shows up on Genesis 18 in the, in the heat of the day. He showed up for lunch. He speaks so that Sarah can hear. Your wife, when I come back next year, will have a child. Who's laughing? Sarah. Who's not laughing? Abraham. Abraham has heard the punchline before. Sarah is hearing this for the first time. Sarah is hearing for the first time, me? I'm going to have a kid? What? She's floored. She's flabbergasted. There's a good word for you. Me. Through me? See, Sarah hasn't marinated on the promise enough like her husband. Her husband has been marinating in this. He's been thinking about this. He's been meditating upon this. He has been, you, you know, thinking of the possibility and, and how it's going to be like. And so now she hears it for the first time and she laughs. Church, could it be? That you're still laughing at the promises of God because you've clearly not spent enough time in his word? Could it be that we don't know what he has said and so we are floored when he speaks? Could it be that we are still perplexed about our purpose because we're clueless about his plans? Could it be that we're still anxious, lacking, lacking confidence, fearful, hopeless because we have not yet, I dare say, stepped into our identity in Christ? Could it be? The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. So this tells me that we have to understand that faith grows as we have exposure to God's word. Faith grows as we are exposed to God's word. We have to sit in it. We have to incorporate it. We have to eat it up. That's why it says that we need to eat this book. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to know this book. We need to be meditating on this book. We need to have this book in and out. It has to permeate and saturate our being. It has to follow us day in and day out. In the morning, it should bubble up inside of us. At lunchtime, it should bubble up inside of us. In the evening, when we're sleeping, it should overflow within us. The word of God has to be built into the person of God. Faith grows through exposure to God's word. And what about this? What about your friends? What about your colleagues? What about your spouse? What about your kids, your, your siblings, you know, your mom, your dad, your aunts and uncles, your cousins, your, your, your friends at work, your colleagues? Isn't it so frustrating and irritating? You know, you ever heard them laugh when the word of God comes their way? You ever heard them buck up against it and they're like, huh, really? Are you kidding me? Isn't, isn't it silly that they do that? It's like ridiculous. This is the word of God. It's right here, man. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to laugh at it. it there's a blessing right here. But they're like, ah, that just doesn't make sense. They laugh at it. They ridicule it. They, they don't accept it. It's frustrating, isn't it? Anybody frustrated? All right, now watch this. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh? Sarah laughs, Abraham is rebuked. Ooh, I'll just let that sit with you for a second. Sarah laughs, but who's rebuked? Abraham. Abraham, my guy, why is she laughing? Oh, wait, hold up. You haven't told her yet? Abram, what's going on? Why is her faith so underdeveloped? Church, the trustees of the blessing are held at higher responsibility. You've come to know the word of God. Hey, it falls on you. My wife, oh, you know what? You're buying into the enemy's schemes and you're, you're falling into his trap. I'm not going to tell my wife because you know what? I don't want to get her hopes up. We've been trying to have kids for years. I don't want to say that God's going to come and bring a child. She's 90 years old. I have no idea how physically this is possible. So I'm not going to say this to her because I don't want to shatter. She's been shattered and shattered and shattered before. I don't want to say it because I don't want her to be, oh, I don't want to say it to my boss. I don't want to tell him the God's word and his promise because I don't want the ridicule that my boss might send my way if it doesn't come to pass. Oh, you know what? I don't want to aggravate tensions with my child any further by telling them the promised consequences of sin. No, no, no. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to mess up and muddy the waters. Church, if you have come to the word of God, God's given you spiritual leadership. I don't care if you're the man of the house, the woman of the house, the kid of the house, the dog of the house. You have the word of God. You've got responsibility. Period. Man, I got to keep moving. At this point in the story, watch this. Sarah finally comes out of the tent. Church, be, keep talking. Keep preaching the word. Keep sharing the word of faith. Uh, let's pause right. You got to speak up. This world needs truth. The truth will set people free. The truth will keep the chaos, the ridiculousness that's going out in the world from going any further. When the man of lawlessness is revealed, there is the restrainer that is no longer around. The, the, the eschatology, the end times things talks about the church being the restrainer that keeps the spirit of the Antichrist from operating in the world. He's always been in the world. He's been trying to derail God's plan from the very beginning in the garden. The spirit of Antichrist is here and he is bent on destroying men and women, keeping us bound, keeping us hopeless, keeping us dead, keeping us distracted. And so the church has to rise up and speak. We have to proclaim the truth of God's word. So it doesn't matter what they're going to think about you. It doesn't matter how you'll be received. That is not your business. That's God's. You speak. All right. Look, look at verse 15. But Sarah... God is, why did she laugh, Mo, uh, Abram? Finally, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. She's what? Afraid. afraid. At this point in the story, our lady Sarah finally steps out from behind the tent, and she shows up, and she is standing face to face with God and the three visitors. And the very first words that come out of this woman's mouth, speaking to the great I am, is an outright lie. Wow. Nice to meet you. You know, I'm lies. The very first word. She is commended as a model Christian for all women. She's a woman of faith. 
The very first words to God is lie. Outright lies motivated by fear. But why fear? Why is she afraid? Perhaps what's going on inside of Sarah is that she's meditating and contemplating on her failures from times past. She is considering the manipulation that she used and now lies in direct opposition to the promise that she is just hearing. Whoa, I'm supposed to have a kid. Shoot, I manipulated a circumstance and situation that I may finally have a kid. Those two things don't connect. And now she's afraid because who else could have perceived my thoughts? God is in this place. Okay. Look back. Rewind with me, Genesis 16. Look at her earlier manipulation that conflicts with this promise. Verse 1 and 2. Now Sarai, before she's named Sarah, Abram's wife, before he's called Abram, had borne him no children. She had a female slave, though, a servant whose name was Hagar. Again, thank you, Abraham, for your dumb move in Egypt. You left there with lots of money and wealth and herds and cattle and slaves. And now you have a servant in your house that is going to add some tensions to your home. He had a female servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Desperate for a kid, hopeful for a change, this godly woman uses and abuses her power and position to get what she wants. Hello. And Abraham being the good, faithful husband, listens. Really, Abraham? He listens. Hagar conceives a child, gives birth to a child. It is not Isaac, but Ishmael. And the drama multiplies in this family. The flaws just expand. Divisions are going to be birthed right here loyalties and resentments are going to stem out of this moment because it tells us in verse 4, and when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarah. I got a kid, you don't. Now, Abram is all excited that he's got a kid. There is tension and problems that's happening in this place. Guys, I want you to understand Manipulation is a bitter pill. It may address a malady, but it comes with side effects. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV about such and such medication? You ever seen those? It shows people living their best lives on such and such medication. And it's like beautiful pictures and videos and family moments and fellowship and and people doing physical activities and, you know, smiles and, you know, dinner parties and all sorts of stuff. You ever see those commercials? And then you, you get to the end of the commercial, and all of a sudden, the voice just gets really fast. It's a disclaimer. And it goes and it says, you know what? Use of such and such may cause irritation, vomiting, kidney failure, eyeballs popping out of sockets, death, even, you know what? Modern society may crash, and the advent of the walking dead will come. So watch out. Yeah, you ever see that? Makes you think twice 
of getting on X and X medication. Do I really have? I'd much rather have my eyeballs in my sockets than deal with, you know, this, this acne or whatever it may be. Guys, watch out. The same thing is with manipulation. See, you might treat the situation. You might gain your immediate objective, but it comes with side effects. When you manipulate, you ruin relationships. You elevate yourself above everybody else. And after a while, that gets old. After a while, people catch on. I asked some of our women leaders, because I did not want to speak on my own accord. I asked them and said, hey, ladies, all right, my wife and a few others, I said, hey, can you please tell me in your words, give me your thoughts on how some Christian women today might use their power and abuse their position so that they can get what they want in a manner that maybe dishonors God and hurts people. So they gave me a few ideas. Here's a few of them. A Christian woman today might use their tears in order to get what they want. Do you know, ladies, that most men hate to see a woman cry? And so even if we might be somewhat right or, or 100% right, we'll give in because we just want you to stop. She's crying. I don't know what to do. Like, stop crying. I can't solve it. I don't know what to do, how to deal with this. Please stop crying. Nagging. You have the ability to be persistent like the widow to the judge and again and again and again and again and again and again. You use your power of persistence and you just finally get what you want, even though it might not be the best thing. Might use their power and manipulate their power. What about this one? Using beauty. There's a whole thing that started as something positive for society where you could utilize, um, you know, a service... I'm going to say the platform in just a second, but the premise of it, if you watch the video of how they market their platform and how it's actually used today, you're like, huh, somebody missed, you know, they, they totally didn't see that coming. The, 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 the site's called OnlyFans. It was supposed to be a platform where you, if you were a, a, a creator of some sort and you had a following and you had a business, you had something of value that you wanted to add to society, that you could create a following and people could support you in that business and help you. Now all it's used for is pornography. So how do people today, they use their appeal, their beauty, they use sex, they use sex appeal, they withhold sex in order to get what they want. That's what that whole platform is all about. People going on there and paying ladies so that they can see, you know, their beauty. Manipulation. What about one-upping? You verbally out-talk them. You shut them down. And uh, every time, because you got superior verbal skills or maybe you got superior education. And you're more trained and formal than he is. And so you got the upper hand. So you use your skills in order to shut them down and manipulate your way. There's so many others. Passive aggressiveness aggressiveness, guilt tripping, and so many others. Children using kids. I'm going to keep this relationship. I'm going to keep you financially supporting me. So let me have a child with you. And so that way you're locked in. There, there's lots of different ways. And I'm just using the example of ladies, but guys can be very manipulative too. And someone said, hey, make sure to say this, that just in the same ways women can use manipulation, guys can do the very same thing, if not more. So I'm not letting you off the hook, guys. I'm not off the hook myself. But I want you to understand. You may be happy with your immediate objective, but you have stained a relationship. You have ruined a potential joy 
in the future. Your reliance on your power, your ability, your belittling of somebody else and manipulating them into your own way has caused pain to enter the picture. And that may rob you of future joy. It's robbed Sarah. Here she is having manipulated Abram and Hagar. She is feeling like there is unbelief and shame and guilt and fear that has crept into her body and into her mind. Can you all stand with me? Say this, but God. But God. Say it again, but God. This is Sarah. This is what she's dealing with. But God. God has come and says, where is Sarah, Abraham? She's in the tent. Good. She's exactly within earshot. I'm here to speak to her. But God. God knows you at your worst, but God won't leave you there. Somebody say amen. Amen. Verse 13, the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I absolutely love this. I love the fact that he asks a question that he knows the answer to. Every time God is asking questions, pay attention. We got a lesson to learn. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Capital L-O-R-D, the great I am. Don't lose sight of this church. As far as Sarah knew, her unbelief was a private thing. Behind the tent, she was there. Nobody could see her. She laughed within the safety of her own thoughts. And even if it registered on her facial expressions, nobody could see her. And yet God says, is anything too hard for God? In her mind, she thought, I'm safe with my unbelief. I'm safe with my unbelief and shame and fear and the manipulation that's in my past. I'm safe. Isn't it easy, friends, to come to church? Y'all looking really nice today. To come dressed up nice, Bible in hand, looking good on the outside, but inside nobody knows what's happening in our hearts. In here there's pain, there's sorrow, there's issues. In here there's something broken. And nobody sees it but God. God sees it all. God knows it all. Nothing is hidden from him. There you are at your worst. And God speaks so that he can restore you to his best. There you are grappling with your shame. God exposes her unbelief and her shame. And he declares in his power that he can restore her to faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The reason that Sarah struggled with unbelief is that her eye was fixed on Abram and herself. He's 100, I'm 90, he's not much, I'm not much, we're hopeless. But church, as long as your eyes are fixed on you, as long as your eyes are fixed on your weakness, as long as your eyes are looking to the difficulties, to the pressures of your life, to the problems with your family, you will find yourself slipping into unbelief every time. What you're doing is looking for answers in all the wrong places. There are no answers there. There only exists hopelessness, despair, shame, guilt, all of that. Hope does not lie 
here, hope lies with God. Our hope lies with him. And when God speaks to Sarah, he lifts up her gaze. He says, my daughter, Sarah, look to me. Is anything too difficult for me? Forget about your biology. Forget about your age. I have counted every one of your days. I have fulfilled plans way bigger than this. I told the sea where it should go and where it stops. I've counted and named every star. Hey, look to me, my daughter. Is somebody catching this today? Come to me. Don't worry about what's going on over here. Look to me. Friends, every time, everything that God has said, everything that God has planned for your life, it will be accomplished. Everything that God has planned for your life, it will be accomplished. Somebody say amen. Look at your own life and you're going to see twists. You're going to see turns. You might have planned your course, but God's directing your steps. And every single thing that he has demanded will be fulfilled. By faith, Sarah receives this. Hebrews 11, 11. God restores this woman's faith. He's speaking, look, I've got you. If you take your eyes off of yourself, look to me. I've got you. I'm restoring your faith. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. Come on, hallelujah. She received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered God faithful. God's plan for Sarah said, girl, you're having a kid. Whether you want it, don't want it, know it, don't know it, believe it, don't believe it. You're having a child. I've ordained it. It's going to be the case. And so God lines everything up that she receives power to conceive. Her faith is restored. And here is a nonagenarian woman having a baby. You're an octogenarian, right, Virginia? Here's a nonagenarian having a baby. Virginia, don't worry, no baby's coming. <coughs> that's not the goal, that's not the purpose. But every single plan of God will be fulfilled. Look what the psalmist says. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. All generations everything God has planned for you say this everything God has planned for me will be accomplished say it again so the devil can hear it everything that God has planned for me will be accomplished so you're single and you're yearning for a spouse. Everything God has planned for you in your life will be fulfilled. So you've been sidelined by an injury. Everything God has planned for your life will be fulfilled. You have married somebody and that husband of yours, that wife of yours isn't measuring up to your expectation. Everything God has planned for you in your life will be accomplished. So what? Your kids are not serving the Lord. Everything that God has planned for you will be accomplished. So what? You're looking to have a child and you don't have one yet. Everything that God has planned for you will be accomplished. Somebody, you're in a dead-end job today. Everything that God has planned for your life will be accomplished. Somebody catch this in your spirit this morning. 
everything. Now notice I didn't say everything that you have planned for your life. I'm not saying everything that I have planned for my life, but everything that he has planned for my life. Oh, it is sweet. It is good. It is faithful. It is merciful. It is full with mercies and tender love. He's given me a calling and a purpose, a future and a destiny. It's going to be good because God is faithful. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus. Do not grow weary in doing well because you will reap a harvest. Come on, church. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with today. But I believe that in this place, there's some Sarahs that need to be restored. I believe that in this moment, there are people here today that you have not made margin in your life to receive God into your heart and receive his blessings, his direction, his guidance. Today, change all of that. Say, I am widening the margin. I'm making space because I'm getting out of my way and I'm getting out of my own cockpit and saying, Jesus needs to take the wheel. He is flying this plane. He is leading me. So if that's you today, make a change for Jesus. There's some people in this place that you need to repent because you have been living in unbelief. You've trusted God for the eternal things, but you've forgotten him in the very moment of your tension and pain. You're trusting God for heaven, but you're like, God, I don't know what's going to happen in the mess of my family. I don't know what's going to happen in the mess of my job. Lord, I have no idea. You said that you have life and liberty for me, but God, I'm still living with this sickness. I'm still living, Lord God, under this depression or whatever. That you need to come to God and say, Lord, I want to believe for all of it. All of it. Not just one day, but here and now, today. There's somebody here, you need to come to God and say, Lord, I've manipulated things. I've twisted things. I've hurt people. I've dishonored you. I've lived my life in my own terms. And I need to change that and ask you for forgiveness. I don't know if this, if this message is for you. I want you to get out of your seat right now and come to this altar. And you come and meet the God, the great I am. Capital L-O-R-D. The Lord, the great one, the mighty one, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, who knows a plan for you and will fulfill it. If you have to respond in any one of these three ways, you come to this altar right now. We want to pray with you. Lift up your hands to heaven. Father. I recognize that this is your divine moment. Lord, we declared by faith in the beginning that, Lord God, that there are men and women today that need to have a genuine relationship. Start or restart with you. Father, I invite your Holy Spirit to come right now to speak into hearts and release faith, to break the barriers and the lies and the excuses. Lord God, I declare that there are victorious men and women of faith today that are coming and stepping up and being, Lord God, launched into their destinies, Lord God. Father, I thank you that you love us so much to not leave us where we were. But if you restored Sarah and made her a model, God, that you're restoring men and women here. Wives are being restored to be excellent examples in their homes. Husbands are being restored to be incredible leaders of faith in their homes. Lord God, you're restoring, Lord Jesus, young men and women to be, Lord God, champions for change for Christ in this day and age. Lord, I thank you that you're moving beyond all power. You are astounding men and women that when we consider the works of your hands, that we would rejoice with holy laughter 
being amazed at the goodness of God as opposed to being, Lord God, doubtful to what you can do. God, I pray, change our mindset, change our expectations, that we would be a people of holy laughter, just rejoicing at the goodness and miracles of God that are faithful and true, abundant in our lives, in our church, for this time. In Jesus' mighty name. God has touched you, is speaking to you, don't pass this moment by. Come lay your burdens at the cross. Come let down all of your barriers and issues. Don't leave this place the same way you came. Be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ.